Welcome to the Worship Central Podcast. We are passionate to see the worship and creativity of churches throughout the world set on fire. Join us as we explore what this might look like. Well, hello and welcome back to this month's edition, February, of the Worship Central Podcast. <laughs> Not in the room, just to be clear, with Nick Drake, Nick Herbert, Luke Calibron, I am in the room with him, and Tim Hughes. Whoa! <laughs> I have to do my own height these days. <laughs> wow. So first off, we have a um, fantastic thought from Dr. Nicholas Drake. Drake, he did a fantastic sermon on this a couple of weeks back at our church. And so he's just going to give us like uh, a synopsisized version of that right now. Over to you, Drakey. Thanks, Anna. Uh, yeah, we thought it'd be um, really good just to look at this idea of first love, first love, uh, first flames. Um, there's many stories <laughs> that could be shared from us personally, but we're going to focus on Jesus, Jesus at this point. Um, and uh, we've been following the book of Revelation and uh, the letters to the seven churches, of course, that come in the first five chapters. And uh, the first letter is this letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. And it, it focuses on this idea of um, leaving behind your first love, leaving behind your first love. And so this theme, I mean, it's a, it's a theme for occasion. It's, a, it's an eternal theme, but it's a particularly important theme and strong theme for worship and worship leading and being responsible for worship and ministering in the spirit. Um, why? I'm going to come on to the why of that at the end of this uh, few minutes. But just to give you some of the background, the, the, the whole book of Revelation um, it's been suggested it does two things. It inspires wonder and it invites faithfulness. It inspires wonder and it invites faithfulness. And um, so that's one of these recurring themes throughout the book. And this letter to the church in Ephesus, and I'll read out a few lines from Revelation chapter 2 in a moment. But this, this, this city was one of the greatest cities on the western coast of Monday, Turkey. Massive um, amphitheater. For, for thousands of people to gather, a huge temple uh, to the goddess Artemis, um, two football pitches long. It was, it was a great city to be in and live in. Um, and it was a great church. So this church in Ephesus, we know from Acts 19, uh, Paul established, church planted there. Um, it flourishes and it turns the city upside down, causes riots because, you know, uh, healing is being done. Um, it, it, it's an incredible, exciting city with an incredibly exciting church. So then this letter comes in Revelation uh, to John on the island of Patmos towards the end of the first century. And these are the verses. This is what Jesus writes, so to speak, in this letter to the church in Ephesus. He says this, uh, Revelation 2, verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You've not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. 
Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So <clears throat> strong words from Jesus. And first of all, he, he, he encourages them. And, and he's basically saying you're doing two things right. You're doing right actions and you've got all the right beliefs. Like many of us, like we'd love Jesus to say that to us. You know, you, 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 you're doing all the right things. You're living out your faith and you know how to discern truth and falsehood. You, you know uh, what right doctrine is and you hold fast to it. And even if we just pause there, like it's so important in our world today, isn't it? Like the, the, the question of what does it truly mean to follow Jesus? You know, what does it mean to, to, to hold up a banner that, says Jesus on it, you know, and do we have right action, right belief? So this church is full of right worship. And yet Jesus then, you know, turns the tables and says, but I've, I've got this one thing to tell you. And uh, many of us will know that moment, like where we're in a, you know, we're with a friend and maybe they want to pull us up on something uh, or we're, we're in a meeting with a line manager, someone over us, and they've done all the positives, but then there's just like, oh, just one thing, Nick. And, and your heart, like, you know, you're gulping. You're like, oh, my goodness, what, what's it going to be? And you kind of brace yourself. And Jesus says these lines, you know, you, you've forsaken your first love. And it's like this, this just sinking feeling of, oh, that's, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> You know, I thought maybe I, I wasn't serving the poor enough. I, or maybe I, I messed up on this thing over here. But you've forsaken your first love. And this word, um, you've forsaken, it doesn't just mean like you've lost, like you, you've slightly neglected it and you've lost it. But it means you've left, which suggests this like proactive walking away from. So, so it's about intentionality. But to kind of come to land this plane right now and provoke further conversation, the, the, the interesting thing here is, and the important thing here is, the message from this letter is that missional impact or kingdom impact for the church in Ephesus was connected to their proximity to Jesus as their first love. So, so, so the power of the kingdom coming through them, they could, they could look like they're doing all the right things. They could look like they're having all the right beliefs. They could look like they're the greatest you know, facilitators of ministry in the world, in the, one of the greatest cities in the world. But if they're, if they're not maintaining intentionally a proximity to Jesus as their first love, as their source and resource, then there's, there's, a, there's a bankruptcy, there's a hollowness about what they seem to be doing. And so I, I guess what, what, why we thought it'd be interesting to share this here is because it's such an important message. <laughs> Uh, for, for us as people responsible for worship, for people praying for worship for our churches in every season, but particularly in this season where, where some of what it means to follow Jesus is, is being contested and it's confusing at times. And, uh, and this, this true calling to being close to Jesus, staying close to him is so important and how that affects our effectiveness for true kingdom impact um, is so uh, important. So, uh, over to you guys to kind of kick us on. Ooh. Love it, Drakey. So good. Mm. Very good. I mean, essentially, what we're saying here then is that um, all the power is in intimacy with God, right? 
Right. Like that, right. that is the place from which everything flows. Um, and I suppose there's no, <laughs> without putting a full stop on the discussion, like surely there's no greater thing to go after as worship leaders, worship pastors of the local church. I think someone said the best gift you can give your church as a worship leader is someone fully alive in the presence of God. And like, so surely what you're saying, proximity, this like totally agree. This is so vital for us. Like if we lose that proximity to Christ, we've lost everything, haven't we? Mm -hmm. It's game over. That's right. And I'd love to ask Drakey, what does first love look like? You know, it's kind of, what do we mean? Return to your first love with Jesus. What is that, you know, singing 90 vineyard classics or, you know, what, 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 what is it? I, I, I think, you know, when, when I, when I did this, uh, when I did the actual sermon, you know, the other week, um, I think I came up with this phrase when I was preparing it and praying it through, you know, and I thought it was quite strong. So I don't think I said it in the actual sermon in the end, but I had it in my notes that, you know, if we're not intentionally, uh, if we're not intentional in pursuing Jesus, then we are intentionally walking away. And so I think that there has to be something about the spiritual disciplines, but I don't want to narrow it down to that. That's what I, that's what I feel about this. Mm. Um, there has to be something about intentionality, which basically means the spiritual disciplines and, and, and the traditional ways of, of, of knowing we are walking with God. I, for example, reading Bible regularly, prayer life, and so on. But first love, from our, from our human experience, is, is, is more than discipline <laughs> and this is the thing you know and that's what's interesting here i guess is it, it's not talking about like ongoing love like the commitment of marriage uh, you know 20 years down the line um you know he's talking about first love you know mm. the first moments of discovery love which you know i'm sure we could all tell stories of that first moment where we realize god is real like jesus oh my goodness like jesus is actually alive he's actually here and he and he loves me, and he and he wants me to be free and to worship him. And so, to me, there has to be something of the mystery and majesty of recklessly throwing everything into him moments. Mm. And I think the danger in worship and then our worship lives as we progress is we lose those moments. We walk away from those moments. We become less childlike. Yeah. Maybe um, I don't know what others think. Yeah. That. Yeah, it's just uh, it's so good. It's making me think a bit about um, is it because there's an element of first love, like you know the first first time you encounter Jesus, but then but then there's just being the number one, you know, like just be number one in in my life right now, and let everything else fall into place. And I'd love your thoughts on that in terms of just experientially how we, how we can experience or should we have the expectation to experience the same type of encounter that we did when we first became a Christian? Or is that an initiatory experience? Is that something we should be thinking we can still attain that? Or do you, do you know what I mean? Or is it, 
is that unrealistic because it is by nature initiatory and the first time you experience Jesus? Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, I'm going to pass on to Anna, but um, it, <laughs> I think that's a brilliant question. And and just to just to give Anna time to respond, um, or whoever's going to, um, what it sparked in me is an initial gut response. Interestingly, it, when I was studying some of the theology stuff on this, um, one of the because Pentecostals and Charismatics, which which we kind of enjoy a lot of the tradition. Obviously, a big thing for, for them was spirit baptism. Uh, you know, and, and this sometimes is talked of as second baptism, you know, and, and it's it's controversial theologically and all that, you know, or don't you receive the Holy Spirit at your first baptism? But then there are these moments in Acts, in fact, interestingly in the church in Ephesus in Acts 19, where they've only received John's baptism. And then they then, so that's why they pray for to receive the Holy Spirit. So anyway, the point being, initiatory experience of the holy spirit happens um but where it becomes interesting theologically is one of the theories i've read for the explosion of charismatic pentecostal worship contemporary worship in the last 50 years or whatever is is it a pursuit of an ongoing spirit baptism moment in a sense like it, it is is what is what's happened is a kind of extrapolation of an initiatory moment and kind of pulling it out over a longer period of time as a consistent thing we can enjoy and experience. Um, a really interesting uh, way of seeing what we're talking about here, um, that it is, it is possible to experience in an ongoing way. There's always more of the life of God, of the Holy Spirit, um, and, and ipso facto, it is experiential. It is experiential. So, uh, but it's it, it's a fascinating area of conversation that's debated. But that would be my. Um, but anyone else want to jump in, Anna or? Oh, it's brilliant. Um, those thoughts. But I did, one thing when you were um, reading out the passage. It said, um, if not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Like it's pretty, it's pretty hardcore. And it made me think about um, this whole thing around like anointing. Well, yeah, I mean, I hope this isn't uh, off into a different um, conversation. But anyway, come with me if it is. Um, you know, and, and that moment when you're, and it relates in some ways when you're when you're leading in the power of the Holy Spirit and you know you're just there and it is that experiential first love kind of moment and in some ways you would you could describe that as being anointed um, and I've heard people talk about the fact that you you know can you lose your anointing or um, does the anointing like shift around and then come back to you in a season or whatever. Um, and I don't know. I'd, I'd just love to know what, what you think on that. Cause I mean, Jesus is saying here, unless you repent, like that's it, it's game over. <laughs> just like, it's pretty, pretty real, isn't it? Um, what, I don't know. What do people think on that? 
Anointing. Okay, the day. Well, I mean, it's a whole other topic, isn't it? Which maybe we should do another time. But anointing. I think there's a danger anointing that there is an individualistic worldview thing going on. And again, that's why scripture is so important, isn't it? Here, here, as you point out here in Revelation, it's not like it's interesting. He's not writing it to um, one or two of us in the church or the worship leaders in the church, or it's to the collective. You know, the church in Ephesus. All of you together, I'm going to. If you if you don't change on this, the lights are going off on the church you know i'm flicking all the switches off you know the lights are going off it's not like oh so and so is not going to be anointed anymore and so i think there's something bigger here than the individualistic like um anointing question and 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 this is again i guess where this question harsh like strongly comes to us when 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 we commit to reading the bible and living in the bible we're confronted you know, when we put the text of the Bible above us and allow it to confront us, there's this thing that comes of, well, are you, are you living out faithful obedience to Jesus uh, and as defined by the text? And, and in this case, the text is saying, it's not even a question of, you know, your own personal anointing. It's just like lights are off for the church. <laughs> you know, it, it's a, it is harsh. It's big. Wow. Mentalities. And that's something that sometimes you don't have the rational answers for. You just need to sit under for a while and turn to prayer. I mean, my, my thing would be sitting under it and turning it to prayer. But uh, I don't know if others, Tim, Luke. I suppose what I'm getting at is worship leaders who are sitting here listening to this going, goodness me, like, how do I steward this in my church if I feel like we we have or you know how how do i how do i lead people back to the to the first love mm. as a worship leader mm. yeah sitting under all this like how can we apply this directly um i suppose maybe that's where the which i appreciate is a different different conversation but how, um, what what do you do and i was going to ask off the back of that maybe this one for, for you tim you know drake said at the start this is about inspiring wonder and faithfulness and it strikes me that you know as a worship pastor you part of your thing is like you want to um, stir the pot, you know, you want to um, poke the fire in the church um, that you're a part of. You, you kind of want to get these juices flowing in terms of wonder and faithfulness. Like someone listening to this, like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Any tips, thoughts on what you've seen where it feels authentic, where people, worship pastors are authentically leading people back to their first love, inspiring wonder and faithfulness? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I was thinking about that, that phrase, the wonder and faithfulness, because there's the, um, uh, remember an old song my parents used to listen to, Don Francisco, an old country artist, love is not a feeling, it's the act of a will, you know, an act of the will. Basically, you know, in a committed relationship, you, you, you communicate a depth of love by just being faithful and being kind and being consistent and learning and growing. But as Nick said, what we're talking about here is is also maintaining that fire, that passion. Like in a marriage, you don't want to just be buddies. You want to be lovers. And I, I think this is really important in terms of worship because um, I, I think one of the things we do is we, um, particularly maybe a bit more in, in, in the West, maybe even more so in the UK, we're, we're afraid of emotion. And I, I've spoken to so many worship leaders who've been told off by their pastors or, you know, 
had unhelpful comments about being too enthusiastic too um and i feel i feel for them because i think actually what i want to see more in worship leaders is less kind of executing of great songs and great sets but i i want to know that you're in it this means something these words you're singing you know very powerful i think when you hear someone speak about jesus or sing about jesus and it's so deep in them that they're moved to tears you know what, what one of my heroes at the moment is guy daryl johnson he's written this amazing book on revelation um church or discipleship on the edge but when, when you spend time with him and you just chat to him and have lunch coffee he often he ends up weeping when he talks about jesus and this is you know you know well he's in his mid-70s but that first love is probably it is so deep so contagious and so powerful and, and you come away less thinking about what a brilliant mind what a brilliant kind of teacher and theologian you just come away thinking oh I want to spend more time with Jesus so that I too can, you know, have that kind of heart. So I, I, I think there are things that we need to be doing to, to create space for this. I think more time in prayer, more time around people who are, are, you know, passionate about Jesus. Again, it's been interesting. I've been in a whole bunch of different kind of meetings and different kind of connections with other leaders. And some, there's a lot around, you know, let, let's all gather around, let's do this, activate, activate. And then there are others where, we just meet up and we pray and we talk about what Jesus is doing and it inspires that oh, we're, we're not here to save the world. There's one Savior, it's Jesus. We're here to love the Savior. And um, I think we need more of that in our worship. Um, and maybe we need to encourage a bit more vulnerability, heart on sleeve, passion. But that can't be faked. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of emotion in music, but we're talking about something so deep. Um, and again, I would say, and I don't know what others think, how do you foster that within a worship team? So I, I think sometimes you can lead worship teams where everyone really buzzes about the music, and, but when you start talking about Jesus, they all get a bit coy and awkward. And, or, you know, how much are they really reading the Bible? You know, I, I, think, I think we need to foster this deep passion within worship teams. I don't know how others... You know, Herbs, I don't know how you've done that in the past or what your thoughts around that are. I mean, I mean, you got me thinking then because I think just from a songwriting point of view, there's such a challenge, isn't there, when we talk about what it means to love the Saviour and Jesus mm -hmm. and how we actually craft lyrics and give language and articulate and help people say that in a way that somehow connects. And obviously it always comes down to a song starting in worship and ending up as worship. But I think that's been one of the barriers, hasn't it, as different shifts and seasons have gone on, you know, how one particular season of, of um, songwriters interpreted that first loving song that really connected in a moment. And so it's so interesting how you can move into another season and those songs yeah. somehow don't feel like they connect in the same way and then, and then there's a new language, there's a new poetry for a season that really um, reflects that. And then you kind of go full circle and you come back to those songs, you know, that were there right at the start of your journey. So I think that's a big challenge is, is how we, and I think when we get those songs right, something magical happens in worship where it just unlocks, you know, worship, in, you know, for others to, to love Jesus. Um, but there are a few thoughts I was, I was having, you know, on it all. Uh, on the worship team thing, um, we had our, 
our team night um, a few nights ago and um, I said to the guys, because a lot of the guys in the team kind of rib me because I talk about conviction quite a lot. So I'm definitely someone who wears their heart on the sleeve and, you know, has a few opinions as I'm sure you'll all be smirking. And, um, and, but I, but I talk to the guys a lot about conviction. Like I love it when, you know, worship team, worship leaders sing and play with conviction, like they mean it. And I think this, this whole thing kind of got me thinking about that. And and I kind of said to the guys on this team night course, like guys, you can hold me to this, but I'm going to stop talking to you about conviction because my revelation on it is, and it sounds obvious, but you can't force conviction. And I think, um, I think like it's similar with this first love thing. Like I can only, when I'm leading worship and I'm pastoring the worship team and the church in worship, I can't, I can't lead them to know Jesus unless I know him myself. Like that's a, it's a false, it's a wrong assumption for a worship pastor, worship leader to, to, to be thinking that, you know, like that phrase, um, it's been bandied around before you, you can only lead people somewhere that you've already been, you know, and I think it's the same with this first love. Like it'd be weird if, if you asked me about Anna and I sort of said, Oh yeah, well, you know, she's a, she's a female and, um, I think she's from Ireland and, um, she's got blonde hair. Like that would just be a bit weird. Like you, you'd be like, yeah, it sounds like you don't really know her. And I think this thing around first love for me, is like as a worship pastor and worship leader is it inspires me to want to get to know Jesus more. And, and that's the thing when you, when you talk to someone who's in love, they just can't stop talking about the person that they love. And I think that's as worship leaders and worship pastors, that's what, that, that's the goal, you know, that we, we lead people into this encounter with someone that we truly love. And Mm -hmm. what you were saying, Herb's like, is not just our first love, but like our number one, you know, and, um, I think that's the thing to encourage worship leaders in. It's like just just um, be fixated on getting to know the person of Christ more because I think that also transforms our worship leading to just takes it to another another level. Yeah, I heard this phrase used by a guy um, called out, oh, sorry, and he said, um, if you have measles but you preach mumps, you still catch measles. <laughs> Um, boom so, drop the mic I know thanks guys for listening yeah. all you need to know I, you, you couldn't have summarised Nick's talk better thanks <laughs> I was listening intently the point being is you have to catch it don't you you have to catch it and I think and this is really challenging and this kind of you know brings it back to the passage and what Nick was talking about like if as a worship leader and I'm guilty of this right we can talk about leadership conviction stewarding the presence like you know navigating the moments whatever it is but unless you are unless you've caught the love of Jesus Mm. and it's just in you like you just, you can say whatever you like people are only going to catch what's in you if that makes sense mm. so I, I, it's really challenging isn't it that um we we have to just catch that in us it has to be in us 
And if that isn't there before we start speaking into all these other things, which are important, of course they are. Like we, we all know, anyone who's led worship knows that there's a ton of things that go with it. But unless you've caught the love of Jesus and it's in you, people can't, they can't catch it. No matter how much mm. talking you do or no, no matter how much teaching or good leadership, if it's not in you, mm. they won't catch it. Mm. One of the things we've been a part of is gastric music. And uh, last month we released a new single, Praise to You Alone, uh, which is available on all the sort of Spotify, Apple Music. Um, but we have a new song coming out called The River which actually came out of a spontaneous moment of, of prayer and worship. Uh, Nick and Luke were both involved in the writing of it. It's absolutely fantastic. We've loved using it in church, uh, but it'd be great just to hear from you guys. So sort of, yeah, something of the story of the song, something of the vision for, uh, you know, the river. What, what do we mean by that? Nick, why don't you kick us off? Well, um, it was just such a fun night, a kingdom come. I think it was at um, the week, and it was amazing. And one of the guys, I think it was Josh who started it, where came out with this line, there's a river that runs from the heart of the Father. And it's just, it's just an incredibly prophetic line that somehow, I don't know what it is, but it just somehow puts a new take for me on thinking about the river of God and the way the spirit of God's moving and this idea is coming from the heart of the father. But one of the things I wanted to say was that um, it was so exciting because we started to sing this. I remember we were in the round. People got up and spontaneously started running around the band and it was just so unusual. And, you know, these guys playing, you know, there's a river that runs from the heart of the father. They were everyone just running and it was just so, so fun. And, um, I just thought that was, it's amazing, you know, to see the Spirit of God move people to do that in worship. And it really left a lasting impression. And then, um, and yeah, we've gone on to write a bit, haven't we, Luke, and craft it. And it's been exciting to do that. Yeah, I think um, what maybe one thing to add, like, it's really interesting, you know, what, what Herb's just said there about where the song initiated. And then um, I think song, it's really interesting when songs go on a journey through lots of different life events and, you know, over the last year, as we've kind of um, been trying to kind of finish the song and land it, there's been so many uh, incredible world events that have happened that sort of almost feel like they've shaped some of the content of the song. And, you know, in the bridge, we talk about um, justice and heaven's healing and some of these things that these world events that we've been experiencing in the last year sort of felt like we, we, we wanted to cry out for the river of God and for his spirit to flow and, and move in us you know, and, and move in our communities and cities and churches um, in response to all this stuff that is going on in the world of, you know, these things that we see of racism and injustice and, um, and COVID, you know, all the things that we want to cry out to God for um, and ultimately be in his river, be in his presence, be, be in his um, in his uh, flowing spirit. Um, and so <clears throat> I think this song is um, it's really interesting. It's probably, uh, it's got six songwriters on it. It's probably the sort of biggest collaborative song that I've been a part of, probably one of the longest journeys, but it's really, I love where it's landed. And I think it's brought um, uh, a lot of life to us as a church as well. So excited for people to, to um, hear it 
And I think we're going to listen to a snippet now. Here we go. There's a river that runs from the heart of the Father. There's a river that runs from His heart. There's a river that runs from the heart of the Father. There's a river that runs from His heart. So jump in. Jump in. There's a freedom that's wild. Awesome art. I hope you guys enjoyed The River. Uh, it's coming out February 12th. Mark your diaries. Subscribe to us. Um, follow us on Spotify and Apple Music, all that gas street music. Um, be awesome for you guys to track along the journey with us. Next up, we have an interview um, with Nathan Jess, who uh, is a worship leader, songwriter, producer from Northern Ireland. Um, he's a friend of ours, amazing guy. Um, we've written songs with him before, and uh, he's just brilliant. And we wanted to catch um, up with him, get some thoughts on a whole bunch of stuff. So um, check out this interview with him. Herb's got some time with him. Hey, well, I'm super excited today um, interviewing a really good friend of mine. We've been writing a load over COVID times, over 2020. Uh, it's just been really fun. We've written before that, haven't we, Nathan? And yeah. way back, a song called Burning Heart that I still love, but it's you've been really encouraging to me in this season, just just being able to write with you. And and it's so great we can get you on the Worship Central podcast today. Um, for those of you who don't know, Nathan wrote an amazing, amazing song last year as part of writing a song, Man of Your Word. So incredible song that has blessed so many churches and, um, you know, is is incredible. How did that come about, Nathan? It was actually a funny one, how that one landed, because I was spending a week in Atlanta writing with the Mav guys, and I, it was the last, yeah, it was the last day of my writing, and that write wasn't on the schedule. So I was actually writing with the House Fires guys that day, and then I thought, I thought we were done. I was flying to Florida to play at a church and then fly home, and, I, and the writing week was kind of finished. And um, Tony, the guy at Mav said Chandler was coming down, we're going to do right. So um, it was kind of that. There's always something in that, isn't it? It's like the spontaneous one where you didn't yeah. see it coming. We jumped in and did that song. And they kind of had an idea because it had come out of a, a kind of worship moment they'd have. But yeah, it was, uh, I didn't, yeah, it was, it was very fun to be part of. Oh, it's so good, mate. And it's a song that's really blessed. So thanks for just investing in that. And, and I think you've really touched on something there, even what you've just said. And I just wanted to ask you, what's worked for you over the years, you know? And I guess this could relate to anyone, really, who's working in church. 
as a worship leader and you've got jobs to do and things to do and ministry to get done but often the very thing that really needs to get done above everything else is just continually falling in love with Jesus right um so how have you found that journey I know for me like from the songwriter's side of it you know approaching it from okay this is your profession lockdown like this whole thing has actually been a massive I don't intentionally use the word reset. I know that's kind of the buzzword with um, Jerry Marillo's book at the minute, but it's, you know, we get so into, even like when we start a song, which might come in those worship moments, we almost sometimes interrupt those worship moments by going, okay, let's record that down. That's a great idea to bring to somebody. Whereas I found myself in lockdown, especially when maybe things were quieter and we weren't writing so much, where I actually just stayed in those moments. Like, I think we have uh, me as a songwriter and then possibly more people, we have like a terrible habit of like almost interrupting stuff that is happening in a moment because our brain all of a sudden goes to professional mode and thinks, where am I bringing this? Or what, what do I need to do with this to bring it into a songwriting session to make it some sort of product that somebody can consume, you know? But I find yeah. myself having that funny little penny drop moment where you go and which is funny because it's how it all started years ago but it's like just finish this song yourself just write it for you just write it because you need to express this moment of worship to god yeah so yeah that has actually really helped me um the whole lockdown thing has helped me just kind of remember what it is to just like do that yourself and not commercialize everything or think about how everything has to become something else you know yeah that's so good it's it's always the challenge isn't it this stuff and i think it's one of the things you know you do so well is just thinking about also the next generation and you know how to get that message out to those who are coming through and maybe some of the lessons you'd love to have learned you know when you were at a certain stage in your journey yeah. um and I think you've been doing this amazing thing, Flesh and Bone. Do you want to say a little bit about that? And I know, obviously, with this last year and a half, the world being crazy, it would have yeah. put it on hold a bit. But yeah. it'd be really nice to know you, sort of your vision and passion behind that. Yeah. So, well, for like 10 years, I primarily was writing for myself and traveling as an artist. But um, we've got, well, a number of things. But um, key one being we've got two young boys and... Um, I just didn't want to be away so much anymore and things were naturally transitioning into me starting to write for other people more than just doing my own thing um so as that was kind of happening i stayed home more i kind of started this uh, essentially a, just a brand to cover like umbrella cover a load of things i was doing um but i started this thing called flesh and bone but a big part of that as well as producing for artists and helping write with people was to kind of come alongside younger um, worship leaders and especially probably in Northern Ireland here you know in my own soil in you know where I grew up where I could identify with people and culturally and all that kind of stuff but I think um, you know the way we sometimes say or people say if I could like write a letter for me 15 years ago and tell them something you know that they yeah. need to know that's kind of like well I can actually do that for somebody who's the next me you know like yeah. the things that took me and maybe painfully had the journey to understand or figure out or um yeah when i was like a young worship leader songwriter trying to find my voice trying to um understand exactly my calling like 
forget writing a letter for me 10 years ago. What if I just find someone who's the 10 year younger version of me and I'm able to kind of journey them through that, like be for them what maybe I didn't have in that season and like help them navigate um, maybe a little easier and get to get to their goals a little quicker by giving them kind of my experience or whatever. Yeah, it's so good. And and have you, has it been um, just thinking through this season, you know, saying that and even just thinking about, you know, raising up worship leaders and it's been such a crazy season, hasn't it, for worship leaders as well, like what this looks like. We were just chatting about it's really hard right now to know if a song's any good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you play, you lead a song as a worship leader and you don't really know like yeah. if it's really connecting with people because you can't you know you get a bit on the chat but you, it's hard yeah. to connect and know what's going on how have you found leading worship in this season um you know is it is it sort of sort of made you rethink stuff a bit and it's funny you were saying about reset you know and jeremy Ridd, i think we're going to get him on um soon on one of these interviews yeah. but um has it made you reset or think about worship leading a bit differently i think it is it is helpful for a whole new like set of logistics to make you rethink why did we even do it that way or why were we like i think all that's helpful i it's funny i speak to people who seem to fall on two divides i guess ev everybody wants like a room full of people to gather again as god's people and sing but i definitely know people who just kind of also love going in and getting to be really creative in that sphere and create like this you know, it's a it's a whole other creative process, isn't it? Um, I I just yeah. really miss the interaction of it all. I miss um going where a room's going. Like instead of just, it feels too produced to me to sit and just sing it to a camera. Um, so yeah, it's a lot harder to know where the songs land. It's pro my church are probably happy because they s end up singing like five different versions of songs and. <laughs> yeah. Sing a song again. It's like this is a whole other course. Like what happened there? <laughs> they're probably avoiding. They're probably enjoying not having that. You know. Oh, that's great. That's so good. Oh, Nathan, seriously, we are so blessed by your ministry, what you do. Thanks so much for joining us no on this. And um, seriously, every blessing, mate. And we'll we'll see you soon. Bye. Let's take it to the bridge. Thanks, Hannah. I've missed you saying that. Um, <laughs> hey, so um, we talk a lot about in songwriting about the spark of a song, like where it starts. And we talk a lot about the finish, like getting it over the line. But what do you do in the middle? Well, here's something um, really, really simple. You've got to learn to ask good questions. And I'm going to give you five questions that I ask on the journey. They all begin with C. The first one, congregational. Is it easy for people to sing and play? You know, if, if the why behind what we're doing is we're writing songs for the church, then it's got to be something they can sing, they can play. You know, for other worshipers, can they pick the songs up? Have they got repetition? Et cetera, et cetera. Secondly, creativity. Does it inspire me? You know, our DNA is creative. Are we inspired by what we're writing? Is it making me not just produce more sort of um, the same sounding worship? Next, comfort. Do the words and phrases that I'm using actually sing well or are they a little bit complicated to sing? 
Next, Curveball. What is it that makes this song unique, different from other songs out there that maybe say the same thing and cover the same theme? So that could be a lyrical thing that just makes it unique, the phrase you're using, or it could be a melodic hook. It makes it interesting. And finally, asking the question about countercultural. You know, culture's all about me. So how much of this song is about God? You know, and looking at kind of the relationship, the, the, the sort of ratio between vertical, horizontal, you know, out there, in here, all those things, ask good questions. It will help you get to the finish line. Well, thank you so much for joining with us this Worship Central podcast. It's been a blast. We hope um, it's encouraged you, it's inspired you, it's challenged you, and um, we can't wait to be with you again next time. Don't forget to subscribe. Take care. God bless.